I'm curious, do you have a really great BS detector? You're, maybe you're often skeptical of others. Are you really street smart? Would you say you're pretty self-assured? You often find yourself being the leader in the group. Maybe you even struggle to ask for help. Do you love a good challenge? Do you fight really hard for the causes you believe in? Do you have a great sense of humor? I bet you're a blast. You might have thought that these were all parts of your personality, but they might actually be coping mechanisms you've picked up over the course of your life, and they're having a huge impact on how you show up, especially on this motherhood journey. Are you curious to know more? You got to take my personality patterns quiz. Here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. Over time, those defenses became a habit and then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There are five different personality patterns and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs but rather they describe the safety strategies that we immediately go to when we start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who we are so much as what's blocking who we are. The good news is that once you take my quiz and learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern, and then you can live and parent your kids as your true and authentic self. Click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz Now to take my two-minute personality pattern quiz. Welcome to the Calm Mom Podcast, the show for ambitious women ready to get off the hot mess express. I know you've got a lot going on. You work so hard. You're raising an incredible family, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. I'm your host, Michelle Grosser. I'm a certified master life coach, attorney, wife, and mom. And years ago, I was right where you are. I was running a busy law practice while raising a family, and I was on the fast track to burnout. I thought I just needed to be more organized or have better routines, but it was learning how to heal and regulate my nervous system that expanded my capacity to gracefully hold more of this big, beautiful life. You too are worthy of an extraordinary life in and beyond motherhood. Learning to be a calm, anchoring presence in your home and at work is going to be your superpower. If you're here to do the inner work that brings a sense of calm amidst the chaos, I'm here to join you on that journey. Each time you press play, your growth continues. So let's get at it. What's up, you guys? Michelle Grosser here, your master coach. Welcome to the Calm Mom Podcast. So grateful to have you with us. I'm super excited about today's episode. It was actually inspired by my sister-in-law, Lindsay. Um, She kind of brought something to my attention and just one of my thoughts on it. And as we were discussing it back and forth, I'm like, this is going to make a great podcast episode. I'm like, do you mind if I use this and just kind of run through my thoughts from a nervous system perspective? Um, I think this episode is further support, I think, of what a lot of us moms are likely sensing And I think it's also an opportunity for all of us to grow in our awareness, Um, even myself, as I was kind of thinking it through and putting it together. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Or, hey, this is what I'm doing here that I think I might be able to do differently because I'm not really taking in the full picture in the moment. So we're going to get into it. But before we do that, I just want to ask every single one of you who are listening, if you have gotten anything out of this 
podcast. If you have gotten anything out of any of the episodes, any source of encouragement or information or anything that's grown your awareness or changed the way in which you've operated or parented or spoken or thought about yourself or thought about this world or any of these things, truly the best way you can thank me is by leaving a five-star rating and even a short review for the podcast. Um, Your ratings, your reviews are the way that we spread this show to other moms who really need this community and this encouragement just like you do and just like I do. So if you haven't yet, if you could just pause the show, go leave a five-star rating, just scroll down, hit the five stars. It takes two seconds. Um, And if you have 10 more seconds and can write a really short review, just one or two sentences even, dropping maybe your favorite episode or something that you've learned, um, I would so, so appreciate it. I have the best audience, the best listeners on the planet. I'm so grateful for every single one of you. So thank you for being here. Thank you for leaving a rating and a review. I love you all so much. Okay. So today we're going to talk about unexpected consequences of rewarding our children for not crying or not whining or not doing any of these other things that can be irritating for us as parents um, or inconvenient or whatever. It is the back to school season. um, And I know that at least in our household and probably the same for a lot of you, it means new rhythms. It means change in routines. It means, you know, especially for our small kids, but also for our older children, it's a time of transition, even for us parents, right? It's just a huge time of transition and transition can be tough. Transition can be uncomfortable. Transition can bring around big emotions and separation anxiety and a lot of different things. And a couple of days ago, my sister-in-law, Lindsay, she texted me and she's like, Hey, her oldest is, um, four, my nephew miles. And he's like, she's like, he's going to be going to a new preschool. Or we're like kind of looking for new preschools for him. Um, and I brought, uh, we've been bringing him to this one preschool and they're handing out stickers to the kids. If the kids don't cry during drop-off, right? So you go in the morning, you drop off your kid. And if your kid doesn't cry during drop-off, they get a sticker. And she wasn't really sure what to make of it. It seemed like there was something that felt kind of off about that um, in her in her intuition. Just And she just kind of wanted to talk it through with me and know my thoughts about it. Just something about it wasn't really sitting well with her. And she's just such a great mom. And I just love that she took the time to kind of connect and be like, Hey, something about this for me feels a little bit off. Right. And then tried to like bounce it off me or someone else. And I just think that's so beautiful. And may all of us have that connection to our intuition and really listen to ourselves when that, you know, mama sense goes off and it's like, Hey, is this, is this like, am I cool with this? Like, is this actually teaching what I want to be teaching? Am I, is this, is this like, helpful to my child, right? Is this is this helping them grow in the way that they need to be growing? Is this what my kid really needs? So I just acknowledge you, Lindsay, for that. And I thank you. And you know, Miles, her son, she, as she describes him, he's just, he's a sensitive kid, right? I have a very sensitive kid. And the more I learn about high sensitivity and its prevalence and what it means, I mean, I'm learning that high sensitivity is a trait that's found in about 10% of the population. So it's quite, you know, it's, it's, it's quite prevalent. It's quite frequently found. And I think it's quite misunderstood also. Um, so I, we talked about that for a little bit, but I really want to just talk 
today about in the context of, you know, telling our kids not to cry, rewarding them not to cry. Um, what are some un- unintended consequences of that? Some of which are quite long-term. And here's the thing. When we do that, when teachers do that, when administrators do that, whatever, it's innocuous, right? Like the teachers at this preschool, you know that they think they're helping parents. And in some ways in the short term, they are, right? Like we all have a lot going on in the mornings. Crying, this big crying fit at drop-off isn't how anyone wants to start the day. I don't want to start the day that way. I, I totally get that. So before we you know, judge this school or judge anyone else, I would venture to say that we have all done that same thing in some form or fashion. Like I know in our house, I took Ashton to a doctor's appointment yesterday um, and they had to run some tests and there were some needles involved. And guys, I had to really fight. Like I'll be honest, I had to really fight against my patterning and my go-to response, which, you know, everything in me wanted to be like, it's okay. It's not going to be that bad. Don't cry, right? If you don't cry, we'll go get some ice cream. And then when she inevitably did cry because it hurt, everything in me wanted to be like, stop crying. You're okay. Stop crying so loud. It's not a big, right? And I'm just so grateful. I was so grateful in that moment that I've had the exposure to this work and done my own inner work so that I didn't say, any of that, right? I didn't dismiss any of her experience. Um, I could handle her crying and comfort her and hold that space for her and be there for her. But I've told my kids to stop crying before. I know I have, right? I've told them to stop whining. I've told them they're okay. I've told them it's not a big deal. And I know we probably all have done something like that to a certain extent, because here's the thing, our kids crying, our kids whining is not pleasant. It's not comfortable. And if we don't have the window of tolerance to be able to handle it, it can cause us to become dysregulated, right? And it's not just with our little kids, like our big, bigger kids, our teenagers. How about their emotions, right? How often are we tempted to just dismiss them as being overdramatic, right? Oh, you'll understand one day you're blowing things out of proportion. It's the same response. It's the same concept. It's just, it's just a different fact pattern. So as I was going back and forth with my sister-in-law about this preschool rewarding the kids for not crying at drop-off, I told her, I'm like, this is such a good discussion. (laughs) We're going to do an episode about it. So here we are. Um, I'm going to share my thoughts on it today, on rewarding our kids for not crying or not whining or whatever expression is that's getting on our nerves, right? And I'm going to share my thoughts from a nervous system perspective Um, as food for thought. So keep it in your back pocket, right? Allow it to grow your awareness. Um, Put it up against your own family values. Put it up against your own, you know, practices, your own beliefs, and then do with it what you will. Um, But we're going to zoom out for a moment because I think we are indirectly teaching uh, certain things when we reward our kids for not expressing their emotions. That's really the focal point, right? The starting point in this inquiry is like, what am I possibly unintentionally teaching my kids when I do this. Because that's the thing. It's not it's not intentional, right? The owner of this preschool isn't trying to teach any of these things to the children, but she just doesn't have the awareness of the unintended impact that she is having on a subconscious level, right? What's she, what are we actually enforcing when we tell our kids not to cry or we reward them for not whining or not crying or not having a meltdown or whatever? So here's the first thing. 
The first thing is that when we reward our kids for not crying, we are teaching them to suppress their emotions, right? I think this is the most obvious unintended consequence. Um, if you listen to our last episode, like literally the last one we published, we talked about how dangerous it is to our bodies for us to suppress our emotions. Suppressing our emotions leads to dysregulation. We talked about how we are in and out beings. If you've listened to this show before, you've heard me talk about this quite a bit, right? Our food comes in, it's got to go out. Anything we drink comes in, it's got to go out. Uh, The air we breathe, it comes in, it's got to go out. The same is true for our emotions. They must be released. So when we teach our children to hold them in, right, to not express them, but instead to suppress them, that leads to dysregulation, which can literally make us sick in our bodies. The science shows suppressing our emotions, it increases our stress hormones, it increases our heart rate, it increases our blood pressure, it increases our respiratory rate, right? Dysregulation due or caused in part by suppressing our emotions can lead to so many physical manifestations. If you've struggled with gut issues, IBS, headaches, migraines, um, PMS, uh, hormone issues, immune system issues, aches and pains, uh, autoimmune conditions, things like chronic fatigue syndrome and burnout, all of those are symptoms of nervous system dysregulation. So when we give our kids stickers for not crying, we are literally rewarding the suppression of emotions that makes human beings sick. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here um, because I think the other two consequences I want to talk about are are less obvious and I want to spend time there. But if you want to learn more about what happens to our bodies, what happens in our bodies when we suppress our emotions, just go back and listen to the previous episode, episode 166. And that's all we talk about in that episode. So that will be really helpful for you. Hear me out for a second. Are you the strong, silent type? Do you ever feel tired and, and maybe you struggle to take action? Or I bet you have all of these great thoughts and these ideas and opinions, but maybe you have a hard time expressing yourself. Are you really down to earth? You hold everything all together. Maybe people have even told you that they admire how strong you are, but on the inside, life and and motherhood actually feel pretty hard. You might have thought that all of these things are just parts of your personality, but they're actually coping mechanisms that you've picked up over the course of your life. And they're having a huge impact on how you show up, especially in motherhood. Are you curious to know more? You got to take my personality patterns quiz. Here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. Over time, those defenses became habits and then they became patterns. And now that we're adults, what we think of as our personality is often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There are five different personality patterns, and they're not personality types like the Enneagram, but rather they describe our safety strategies that we immediately go to when we start to feel overwhelmed. They don't actually describe who we are, but what is blocking who we actually are. The good news is that once you take the quiz, learn about your pattern, You can learn skills to break out of that pattern, and then you can live and parent as your true and authentic self. 
Click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com slash quiz now to take my two-minute personality pattern quiz. All right, let's talk about two less obvious consequences of rewarding our kids for not crying or not whining. Number two, when we reward our children for not crying or not authentically expressing, here's what happens. Here's one thing that happens. We are teaching our children subconsciously, unintentionally, we are teaching them that they cannot trust their bodies. Our emotions, our sensations in our body are information, right? At their core, our emotions, the sensations in our body are communicating something to us. At their core, they're communicating something that is likely trying to keep us safe. So friends, your four-year-old, your child is not manipulating you if they are crying at drop-off, right? You are their safety. You are their source of comfort and food and fun and everything. You're the reference point for all they know and all they trust. And at drop-off, you're asking them to separate from that, right? A separation from you is a separation from comfort. So it makes total sense that their little amygdala in their brain would sound the alarm that this is not safe. Unfamiliar is unsafe to our nervous system. This is true for your small child and this is true for your adult nervous system. Unfamiliar is unsafe. So their little body is being flooded with all of these hormones like cortisol that are signaling a stress response. So what do they do, right? They cry. They become stage five clingers. They wrap themselves around your leg. They wrap their arms around your neck. Like they won't let go of you for the life of them. They're in survival mode. They're in their survival brain. There is literally no point, right, in this situation in trying to explain anything to them, to rationalize anything in that moment. That part of their brain is literally shut off. Now, The point I want to make is that when all of that is going on in their body, they can obviously sense it, right? So when we tell them things like, don't cry, this isn't a big deal, there's something to be scared of, imagine how confusing that is to a developing brain, right? It's not a big deal. Well, it sure feels like a big deal to me, right? You tell them you're fine. Well, they don't feel fine. Right? We tell them something like, hey, there's nothing to be scared of. It's going to be fun. And they're like, well, the idea of you not being here with me is actually really scary to me. And let's back up a little bit because what's happening here and what happens or what has happened to every single one of us at a really early age, I'm talking like 18 months old, two years old is that what's happening is a crucial step in child development, right? We first see ourselves through the eyes of our parents in the reflections that we get back from them. So if the mirror is clear, i.e. if the reflection we get from our parents matches what we are experiencing, then we actually see ourselves clearly. The reflection matches. It's a clear mirror. However, if the mirror is distorted, If the reflection we're getting back from our parents and from our caregivers does not match our our internal experience, we get a distorted reflection of ourself. So if our kids are losing it at drop-off or anywhere else, right, and they're panicking and they're crying and they're having a meltdown and we say something like, wow, 
this must feel really scary for you or you're really upset and mad right now that you're not getting what you want or whatever the situation is, right? If we if we say that, our kids have gotten a clear reflection from us and then they've learned something accurate about themselves, right? They've learned that their abilities and their autonomy are reflected back and this is where they start to learn how to trust themselves and develop their self-confidence. Wow, right? We say, wow, this must feel scary for you. And they say, yeah, this does feel scary for me. This is what happens in my body when I feel scared. This is what I do when I feel scared. And they have an accurate reflection to that autonomy. And that actually starts to develop self-confidence. Now, on the other hand, if we don't give a clear and accurate reflection and we say something like, stop it. You know, my kids don't act like this. You are fine. What happens? Our kids actually get a distorted mirror and it's confusing because it doesn't feel fine, right? Mom is saying it's fine, but it doesn't feel fine in my body. And then what happens is that they're not understanding themselves any better, right? They've only learned that a part of themselves is bad or shameful, or they should stop it, or they should fear it, or they should turn it off. And there's no validation for their experience. So now our kid only knows what mom says about how they feel, right? It's just me telling them, okay, you're okay, you're tough, you're a big boy. And what happens is that subconsciously, our view of what our child is going through, our view as the parent of what our child is going through becomes a substitute for our child's own experience, for our child's own experience of of himself, of herself. And the more this happens, the more that they learn to substitute what we're telling them in place of what they're actually experiencing, the more that they learn all of the subconscious, right? To doubt themselves, to doubt their experience, the more reluctant that they become to express themselves the next time. Now, when our children are at best, I guess, rewarded for suppressing their emotions and at worst, punished, humiliated, or shamed for those emotions, their natural attempt to develop their own will and to establish that that separate sense of self and autonomy, they're going to find it very difficult to complete that developmental stage and they can get stuck there. So it becomes like this learned pattern where self-expression can't be trusted. It's going to be shamed. It's going to be quieted. It's going to be punished. And the opposite, right? Suppressing that is what becomes rewarded. So then they become adults who, or they can become adults who will fear self-expression. It wasn't safe, right? I was rewarded when I didn't express. When I did self-express, I was told I was being a baby. I was told it was no big deal. I was told I was being dramatic. So as adults now, they have a hard time finding intimacy because intimacy requires authentic self-expression. And they become people who kind of hold it all in, hunker down. They really struggle to connect with their emotions. They repress and they suppress. And it comes out in all sorts of ways, right? You become a people pleaser. You literally drive yourself to illness or sickness by holding all of that stuff in. So we want to be clear mirrors for our children. We want to teach them and reflect back to them that they can trust what's going on in their bodies, 
what they're sensing, what their bodies are communicating to them. And how do we do that? We do that by validating their experience. Now, (laughs) hear me in this. Validating their experience, being a mirror that clearly reflects back to them what it is that they're experiencing. I don't say that to mean that that means that they run the show and if they feel scared, they don't have to do anything, right? Or that they can, you know, get mad and like throw stuff in the grocery store. It doesn't mean that. Um, It doesn't mean that we say, you know, I get drop off is scary and then we just give up and drive back home and never separate from them as long as they live, right? It obviously doesn't mean that. Validating their experience doesn't mean we give in to all of their impulses. It doesn't mean that for ourselves. But what it does mean is that we see and we acknowledge what they're actually experiencing from a place of compassion. (laughs) From a place of compassion. What does that sound like? Wow, I see you're a little nervous this morning and I get that. It's totally normal. Totally normal to be nervous, right? When we're experiencing something new. I get nervous when I'm experiencing something new too. Like it can be really scary even though it's safe. So, you know, whatever you're going to offer them. Like maybe, maybe we'll leave early today. So we have a little extra time for, for some, you know, extra hugs that drop off if that's what you need today. You know, remember, you can always borrow some of my courage if you need a little extra courage today, right? That's something I tell my kids that they seem to really hold on to. So I'm validating their experience right? I see that you're feeling nervous. It's normal to feel nervous doing something new. I get it that it feels uncomfortable that we're not going to be together all day today. My reflection is matching their internal experience. And when our reflection matches their internal experience, that is regulating to the nervous system. That signals safety. And what happens when we're regulated, right? We have access to our learning brain. We have access to our prefrontal cortex. And when our kids are able to regulate, right? I'm feeling really nervous about this. Mom is telling me that it's okay to feel nervous about this. So what she's reflecting matches my internal experience that helps my body to feel safe, that helps me to trust myself, and it actually helps me to regulate. And then when they are regulated, ah, that's when we can do all the things that we want to do. That's when we can teach them and coach them and parent them and explain to them that it's going to be a fun day and they're going to meet new friends and we're going to pick them up like we always do and all of these things that we want to tell them, but we've got to wait until they're regulated before we can do that. So that's the second one, right? The first one is that we're teaching them to suppress. And then the second one, when we reward them for suppressing their emotions is that we're actually teaching them that they cannot trust their bodies. And we don't want to be teaching that. We want to be teaching the opposite. And then I think the third or a third unintended consequence of rewarding our kids for not crying or not expressing is that we're actually teaching them again subconsciously to do what everyone else is doing particularly at things like drop off now this is a shortcut right it's convenient when they're four years old and we just want to drop them off and get to work without a meltdown to say things like hey you know look what everyone else is doing look look how much fun I don't know, Susie and Joe are having, right? Everyone else is fine. Like be a big boy, like all of your friends. And what are we subconsciously reinforcing? Ignore your intuition. Ignore your gut instinct. 
ignore your discomfort and go join the crowd, right? If everyone else is doing it, you should be doing it too. And at four, I don't think we're necessarily wrong in telling them these things, but we are unintentionally reinforcing this pattern that our children should be doing what everyone else is doing. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to see how that can play out in middle school, in high school, in college, in adulthood, right? When all of a sudden, as parents, our messaging now flips, right? We do a 180 and now all of a sudden we're like telling them the opposite. Don't give in to peer pressure. Don't follow the crowd, right? Stand up for what you believe in. Even if it's tough, even if no one else is standing up for it, stand up for what you know is right and true. Now, this show, this podcast, isn't necessarily a parenting podcast, right? My vision has always been that if I can help resource women in regulating their nervous system, they will in turn just naturally be better parents, right? However that looks, right? I'm not necessarily the expert in in that, but whatever it is, whatever is right for your family, you will be able to do it so much better with a regulated nervous system. That's my mission. That's my expertise. And to overstate the obvious, parenting a small human being, a small underdeveloped human being is really freaking hard. It's really demanding, right? It can be super confusing and super frustrating. And our kids are just so good. They're so adept at pushing our limits and our triggers and testing every boundary and, you know, trying new ways to get their needs met. And they're so resourceful and they're so creative in this. And nurturing their sense of self, our children's autonomy requires that we, ourselves, have a really grounded sense of our own power, of our own self, of our own identity, of our own autonomy, We have to be able to tolerate their constant challenges, their separation from us, their big emotions, their testing everything, the things they do, the things they say, right? To be able to handle all of that without taking it personally and getting triggered. This is a huge task. It's a big work. It's really stinking hard, you guys. And I know because I'm there with you. I'm in it. Like we're all in this together. I'm trying just like you are. And for many of us, for many of you raised with parents who meant really well, but they just didn't know. Right. And they said things like big girls don't cry and you're tough and you're fine and it's not a big deal. And we probably didn't see our parents express a ton of emotion in healthy ways. So many of us never fully completed this developmental stage of self-expression and autonomy in our own childhood. We weren't allowed to develop our own inner sense of authority, right? We followed, we were expected to follow the rules or some of us were expected to be seen and not heard. We weren't allowed to separate. We weren't allowed to develop this inner sense of authority and self-confidence. So now as adults, it's like really hard. It's really hard to tolerate that in our kids, that assertiveness, that expression, that separation, that testing from our kids. They challenge our authority, right? They have a meltdown, they throw a fit and we subconsciously, what happens? We subconsciously panic. And what happens when that happens? We turn to our patterning, right? We turn what we to what we know. We turn 
to what was drilled into us as kids, even if we swore we'd never do it with our own kids. And we snap and we tell them, stop crying, right? It's not a big deal. You're being dramatic. Go away, whatever. So as mamas, if we do not heal our own wounds, what happens? They live on within us and they control our thoughts and they control our feelings and they control our actions and our wounds might not be conscious, right? We're pretty good as a species at blocking them out of our conscious awareness, but they're there. They're under the surface and they're shaping everything we do and everything we feel and everything we think. And we really truly act out of our unhealed wounds, right? Even on our children and how we parent. So it's how stuff like fear and and anger and shame get passed down through the generations until someone is brave enough and aware enough to say, nope, right? Stops with me. I will not pass this down. And I venture to say that if you guys are listeners of this podcast, that's you, right? You're all cycle breakers in one form or another, and it's big work. It is uncomfortable work. It can be painful work. It can be exhausting work, but it is beautiful work and it is powerful work. And you are truly giving your children in your own healing, you're truly giving your children the best gift you could ever give them. I really truly believe that. So if you're listening to this episode and a lot of this is resonating for you, um, and this is something that you'd love to explore further and heal and go deeper on and just have some guidance and coaching as you grow in your awareness and start to heal your own stuff, so you don't pass it on to your children, I want to open an invitation to you to book a discovery call. There is a link in the show notes right below this episode. You can click it. It takes you straight to my calendar. You can book a free 30-minute call with me. Um, Really just share with me what it is that you're experiencing and noticing and wanting to grow through so you don't pass it on to your children so it can stop with you. Um, and we can explore how, you know, I might be able to support you further. If one-on-one coaching seems like a good fit for you, we can talk about that or other ways I can help resource you because it's a big deal. You guys, it's a big, big deal and you don't have to do it alone. All right. I'm believing this episode was helpful for a lot of you. I'm believing it, um, helped to grow your awareness and also help to confirm some things that your intuition may have already been communicating to you. I love you guys so much. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Have a great rest of the day. I'll talk to you guys soon. If you love mommy's polygraph, leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so awesome if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have just a few more seconds to leave a quick review, they really help to get this podcast out to other moms like you. I read every last review and trust me, when it's late at night or early in the morning before my kids get up and I'm working on bringing you all of this content, your reviews are what keep me going. Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at michellegrosser.com. 
where you'll find free resources and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Oh,